0: To bring him in. So that's what we're going to try and look at today. Why is Jephthah in the hall of faith? What is it that caused him to make it? In verse... uh, Well, let's go over the Hebrews in chapter 11 first. What more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah? Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now we kind of skip it over Samson here, but we'll we'll still be picking him up. We just uh, went over him in a Sunday morning not too long ago, so there's uh, just a few things we wanted to tie into him. But Jephthah is going to take up pretty much all of our time here to look over the, the story that went went on. We have a lot of the most of the story occurs before the battle and after the battle, and I think maybe two verses on the battle. There is not really a whole lot on on that. But let's pick up here at Judges chapter 10 and verse 6. This is going on before Jephthah is brought in on the scene. Just sets the stage for what's going on. Then in the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Very common theme in the book of Judges. And served the Baals and the Asterisks and the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. Again, why in the world do you keep going after these gods who God had defeated time and time again is um, perplexing. But that's the, the, the master deceiver. Satan is good at deception. And he can get you to go back to something that there is no logical reason why you should go back to it and think you're doing good. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. Now before we saw with Gideon, it was about 20 years. This one's 18. So that that seems to be their their breaking point somewhere um, (laughs) around two decades under oppression before they come around. I don't know. I think some of us would get it before 20 years is up. but uh, At least a little bit better. It's 18 instead of 20. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead, moreover the people of Ammon, crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, also against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and serve the Baals. So this is dealing with people that are on the other side of the Jordan. This is where the oppression began, but then they decided to cross over the Jordan and fight against Judah, against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? Now the people of Ammon He delivered them from before in Judges chapter 3. So that wasn't too long ago. But uh, their disobedience brought them unto the people of Ammon again. Also the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Mayanites suppressed you and you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Aren't there some people that you'd like to say this to? I've helped you out before and you keep getting yourself in the same hole. I'm not helping you anymore. Just, uh, just know this: God sometimes has uh, has felt that way too, and He says, "I'm not going to do it." You're out here calling for me to deliver you, and um, no, I'm not going to deliver you. So, verse 14: Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen; let them deliver you in your time of distress. So He doesn't just stop there; He keeps on going on. <laughs> Go after those people. <laughs> Go after those gods that you're serving. Why you why are you bothering me with this thing? You want to serve the God, God of the Amorites? Go, go ask them to bail you out. God of the Philistines? Ask them to bail you out. Don't be asking me anymore. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you, only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. Now he hadn't promised them anything yet, but they put away the foreign gods. I don't know. I would have thought you put away the foreign gods before you get into God the first time. They apparently did not. But they wanted to show God they mean business. So they said, let's go back. We're going to put away all the foreign gods and, uh, and we'll get rid of them. Now, they read, they kind of gloss over this a little bit. But I'm sure that the situation in Israel was much like there are some people who don't want to forsake them and some who do. So the people who don't want to forsake the idols are going to be strong armed into obeying. So they will get rid of them because people came into their houses and took them, or in somehow they were forcibly removed because they understood the urgency of it. But that does not mean the people were converted. So they say, Do to us whatever seems best to you only deliver us this day, we pray so you can go ahead and punish us in any way as long as it's coming from you you were okay but uh, just deliver us from these enemies so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord and his soul could no longer endure the, the misery of Israel now just imagine this with your kids somebody else's kids or your parents when you were growing up and you kept being disobedient and disobedient and disobedient and finally they had their fill of it and they say fine wallow in the mess you made I'm not helping you, and you say uh, something along the fact, well, well, mom and dad, you know what's best, and I'll just take whatever it is that you you think ought to do. And they just go about trying to to clean things up. And after a while, you just get so hurting for them, and so sad to see them in that situation that you just go over there and help them out because they're they're doing their best and they're they're working towards it. At least they're showing some effort there. And so uh, that's what God's at. He said His soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mitzpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, if you're going to gather the battle, it kind of seems like you ought to have a general. That would seem to me, in my estimation, the best thing to do is to have a general. Most of the time that we see in the book of Judges, they got the general first, and then he gathered the people up, and then they went out to battle. But it seems the enemy had gathered, for whatever reason, we don't know, but they had gathered. And so the children of Israel gathered against them. We would have to assume that their numbers were much smaller than the people of Ammon. But they looked around and said, we we need a general. We need somebody who can go out and take the fight out here. And um, no one was there. They had no one to to take charge. I think of um, I think it was in the Civil War. Every once in a while I branch out of my normal areas of, of reading and um, get one of my history. Things taken care of, and I think it was during the Civil War. Uh, President Lincoln was getting a little frustrated with I forget the general's name, but one of the inept, one of the several inept generals of the North. You can think of a letter that he sent him, because he apparently wouldn't go into battle with the army. He kept finding reasons to to not do it. Little That would sound about right. I can't. If it was a longer name. I know. I know that. And so he wrote him a letter and said something to the effect that listen if you're if you're not going to use the army would you mind if I borrowed them for a while <laughs> Now he was eventually relieved of his duties because he just was completely inept and just kept pulling out and and kept losing territory and so forth so um, he was he was taken out uh back in the civil war the north really never had a good general I think the only one we won with was because he just threw so much men and machinery at the battle that uh, he won from that, not necessarily because of great strategy. General Lee was a fantastic strategist, and um, he was almost, I don't know, if, I think you all probably know this, but he was almost the commander of the Northern Army. Came within 24 hours of being the commander of the North. We would have been a lot better off <laughs> if that would have happened. but. McClellan, there's a, that's, that name sounds familiar. That's good. Thank you for that. So they have no general, but the army is gathered. Now this is the bad situation to be in. You got the army, but no general. Well, the other side has their army, and more than likely they have their general. Now the people of Ammon, if you wonder where they came from, there was a particular man in the Old Testament. I gave you the reference for it there in Genesis chapter 19. gentleman's name was was Lot, and of course after um, he had uh, his his um, daughters came with him, but of course the son in laws didn't, and his wife died, and so he's there with his him and his two daughters, and they didn't get married, and so they decided to have a child by the father. They got him drunk and so forth, and so the first one that was born was Moab, and the second one was born. Was the those who raised up the people of Ammon? So not a, not a great history that was there. But when Israel had gone through the the wilderness, they were not allowed to attack Moab and Ammon because of the relationship that was there. So they had asked to pass through, and they were denied on all accounts to uh, pass through. But they came to a section of um, Section of uh, land, then the the Ammonites used to own it. They used to live on it. But another group of people came by, and they took it over. And uh, I just forgot the the name of that one. Uh, another one of those A tribes, Amorites. Thank you. And they uh, they ruled the land. And so when Israel came, they were allowed to attack them. They asked to pass through, and they wouldn't let them. So they gathered all their people, and they came out to attack them. And so Israel defended themselves, and they attacked them and wiped them out. Now they could use their land; they could get through. So they kept it, and they they didn't uh, just leave it there. They kept it. There were some tribes that liked the the land, so they they kept it and they made uh, made it their their home. So that they had land on both sides of the Jordan. So that's the history of what goes on. It's kind of important because uh, Jephthah has to bring it up here. So in chapter 11, verse 1, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. Now Gideon was called a mighty man of valor, but did not operate that way, live that way, or think himself that way. But Jephthah, that's not the case. Jephthah was a mighty man of valor and constantly had walked in that particular power. But he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Now I get the impression from this that before the man was married, he got Um, connected with the harlot and Jephthah was born because it sounds like he's one of the older sons. If he's not the oldest son, he is one of them. So if that's not the case, then it was after he was married he had the affair with the harlot and then Jephthah was born. And he was he stayed apparently in his father's house. So he was probably older but then when the other boys got up to an age where they could protest about this, they decided you're not going to have an inheritance with with us. So um, get out. Now, I always look for, back for some uh, uh, interesting history on, on all this sort of stuff. And one person brought out this. And I don't know where they got this from. But they uh, actually made the comment that the problem came out when Jephthah's father died. So I went back and read it again. And it says there's nothing in here that said his father died. They're just concerned about the inheritance, inheritance for when he does die. So they are kind of uh, looking out for that. So they decided, you need to get out of here, because you're not going to be a part of the inheritance, and we're not going to deal with that. So uh, they drove him out, because they saw him as uh, illegitimate, and certainly not a full-fledged member of the family. Now, it's kind of interesting that we don't hear anything from the father, but... You know, marriage situations are probably no different back then than they are now. And I'm sure that the wife was making some stink about this as well. And so he just kind of bowed out of the scene. If he if he wasn't dead, which I don't think he was, but probably bowed out of the scene and just uh, went along with it. and So Jephthah was chased out. So he goes over to the land of Tob. Now Tob comes in again because under the reign of David, you're going to see that 12,000 come from the land of Tob to join forces with Ammon and some others to fight against David. And they lose because they're fighting against David. But Tob will come into um, prominence again down the road. But he went over to the land of Tob, and Worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Now David also... we. No, he got some of the worthless guys too and turned them into something. We don't have anything about Jephthah turning them into anything other than the worthless people that they were. But they were a fairly good fighting force and they went out and they, they did things. So, a harsh beginning for Jephthah. But he seems to overcome it. And came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel. Now, that's going back to chapter 10. It's the same war when the people of Ammon made war against Israel, that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Now this would indicate there may have been more than just the sons. That some of the elders of Gilead, or maybe the elders are made up of some of the sons, or however it was, Uh, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? How many people have chased you out? (laughs) Not want anything to do with you until they get in trouble. Then they start calling you up. What what happens to you on the inside when when that goes on? Oh, sure, didn't call me before, but now that you're in trouble, now you want to call me. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, This is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. That's what the promise they made at the end of chapter 10, that whoever was going to lead them in battle was going to be the head of the nation. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So Jephthah does have a relationship with the Lord, it seems. Um, this is why one of the reasons why he's in the book. You don't get in that book of Hebrews without a relationship with God. So it doesn't speak a whole lot about his relationship with God, but apparently there was one. And he comes before the Lord and spoke to him about this situation. Verse 12. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? Now isn't that interesting how quickly he took ownership of it? He was chased out of it. These people didn't want anything to do with him. Now all of a sudden they do and uh they said we'll make you the head and he's already taken ownership of that this is my land. Why have you come to fight against me? That's pretty cool. He I mean he took ownership of it right away. You guys said it, he talked about it before God, and from this point on he's seen himself as head of the land. I'm already there. They haven't delivered they haven't been delivered in my hand yet, but this is he's speaking this these words it's my land. So that would seem to indicate that he expects to win. And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabuk to the Jordan. Now therefore, restore those lands peaceably. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon. And they said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. <coughs> For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab, and he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh, and they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom, the land of Moab, come to the east side of the land of Moab, and camped on the other side of the Arnon but they did not enter the border of Moab for the Arnon was the border of Moab then Israel sent messengers to Sihon king of the Amorites king of Heshbon and Israel said to him please let us pass through your land into our place but Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory so Sihon gathered all his people together and camped at Jahaz, and fought against Israel <clears throat> and the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel and they defeated him Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before His people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will you not possess whatever Kamosh, your God, gives to you to possess? So... Whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. hmm Now look at that. Whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. It's ours. If God took it for us, it's ours. <laughs> We're not giving it up. And now you are, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages, in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? Therefore I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king and the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephth- Jephthah sent him. Now, a number of things that we can learn from this discourse that he did. First off, he says for 300 years, you guys didn't have any, any fussing about this. But if you go back and you look at the dates when all this occurred, it is not 300 years. It is actually 350 years. Now, if you look at how much Jephthah knows about the history already, this is not something that is, uh, he's blind to. He knows how long it has been. So why does he say three hundred instead of three hundred and fifty? The supposition is that for some period of time, in there for about fifty years, Israel lost control of the land to someone, but they gained it back. Don't know when, exactly when that was. It's um, you know not, not every period is is discussed during during all that, but he says three hundred, but technically it was actually three hundred and fifty. So for some reason he um, he said three hundred. But he says, why did you come and, and try and take ownership of it during that time? Well, the reason was because Israel was stronger and they weren't going to pick a fight. But look at how much of the history of Israel this guy knows. And he just rattles it off. He did, I mean, he was already in another land, not here in the history. No, no fathers going over the history with him anymore. He has to just know it himself. He's not in the land of Israel where people are going over this this history and talking about these things. It's something that he learned and he is going over it himself. He's going over the history of Israel. He's going over what God had brought them through. He's going over the Red Sea. He's going over the battles in the wilderness. He's going over the victories. He's he's rehashing all these things so that it all stays fresh with him. He's not forgetting. And so when he is put to to the test here and they, and this king says, you took my land. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we didn't. Let me tell you how this all came about. And he rattles it off. Pretty quickly, pretty concisely, and very effectively. And he says, basically, now, that's our land. We didn't take it from you. We took it from another king. You didn't take it back from that king. We did. And if God gave us that land from that other king, because we weren't allowed to take land from you, and we weren't allowed to take land from Moab but from this other king the amorites we were we were um, we were able to do it so um he didn't like that answer <laughs> and so he decides uh them them's fighting words and jephthah is not even moved by this It's like, "Fine, oh, you want to fight? Let's go." Let's go. And the reason is He's going over how God gave them victory at the Red Sea. How God gave them victory in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. How God gave them victory when they came into the land. How God gave them victory before they even crossed over the Jordan. How God crossed over the, you know, dried up the Jordan and crossed them over. And all the battles. In He's been going over this. He's been rehashing who his God is. Mm-hmm. And so when this king with this, we don't know what the numbers are, but his numbers are bigger than then Jephthah's numbers. Because Jephthah does not even have all of Israel. He has a couple of tribes. Israel's on the other side of the Jordan, and those that are on the other side of the Jordan are apparently not involved in this battle. We find that out later on. It's just, uh, just the people that are on that side of the Jordan. Of the Jordan. So let's go over to verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Well, that's always a good thing. (laughs) Now, in order for the Spirit of the Lord to come upon you, you first off have to be his servant. You have to be doing what he asked you to do. You have to be doing his bidding. He's not just going to come upon somebody because they're doing what they want to do. So Jephthah is doing what God has said to do if God is going to come and put his Spirit upon him to do it. So we are not given all the privy information, all the nice little stuff about whatever conversation he had with God or whatever God told him to do. But we know what happened. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mitzpah of Gilead. And from Mitzpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands... Then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now this is kind of a blemish on his record. But this is not something that is very foreign to most Christians. Because most Christians are in the let's make a deal mode. (laughs) We are always making a deal with God. If, if we're in trouble, God, if you'll just help me with this, I will do. And we make the promise. If we're battling some kind of a sickness or disease or pain or whatever it might be that we're battling, and we have uh, gone through whatever we think we ought to go through to get healed, it has not happened. And we start getting to the, let's make a deal. God, if you will heal me from this, And then we throw out whatever we think that God wants. And we make the deal. And this is what He did. If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into My hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of My house to meet Me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up a burnt offering. Now, He wants to offer it up a burnt offering, so He's probably thinking, there's a dog that always greets me. Every time I come home, there's this dog that comes out and never liked that dog anyway. (laughs) Or maybe some cat is always out there by the by the gate. I've always been wanting to get rid of that cat. Could be a goat or a sheep or some troublemaking thing that's always out there in the front yard every time he comes back. And he might figure that that'll be there again. And so we'll just offer that as a burnt offering. don't know what it was, and it may not even be that there was anything troublesome that he's trying to make a deal with on. He's just uh, saying no matter what it is, even if I really like that particular animal, whatever it might be, um, it'll be yours. Now whatever it is, it's going to be something that's live, because he's offering to make it a burnt offering, and um, it's coming to greet him. Inanimate objects don't greet you. But here's, here's the, the thinking for Jephthah. And this is the kind of thinking that we have a problem with too. I had the word from God. I know the Spirit of God has come upon me because this is all made after the Spirit of God came upon him. I can see the hand of the Lord going with me. But will I really come out on top? Will I really be victorious? And this is kind of the source of all of our worries. We really wouldn't have a care in the world if we thought that everything we came up against, we would win. We would have no worries. If every financial crisis that could come my way, I'd win over, got no worries. If every physical thing that came up against me, I would win over, I got no worries. Every emotional, every whatever it might be, if I knew I was going to come out on top, I wouldn't be worried. Worry, fear, and anxiety only comes to us because we are thinking failure is a possibility. If I was absolutely sure that there there could not be failure in any way, I would be relaxed. I would be calm. And I wouldn't give it another thought. If I always knew the outcome, or if I always know, I would be victorious. How could worry and anxiety stand a chance? I think this is the first blank in your outline. I'll give you this one. So many times, we can be convinced that God wants something from us to perform His Word. The only reason we make a deal with God is because we think He wants something from us in order to perform His Word. That God is holding out performing His Word until He gets something that He wants. Alright, I know that this is mine from the Word of God. I know God has promised me, but it hasn't come. So God must want something from me. And we look back and all the things that have been going on. What is it that God has been trying to deal with me on? What is it that God wants? It might be that somebody is saying, well, my language could be cleaned up. That must be what God wants. So God, I'll clean up my language and I won't use harsh words. I won't use these other kind of words anymore. I'll clean that up, but just come through for me on this. But you see, we, we get into that, that kind of thinking. Now, God performs His Word, and I've already gave you four reasons. You might be able to find some other reasons, but I'll give you four here. God performs His Word, first off, to show His love. That's one of the reasons that God performs His Word, is to show His love. How much He loves us. He performs His Word for Israel to show how much He loved them. How much He cared for them. And God will perform his word just to show you that he loves you. It's the same thing we do when we got those little kids in our life and they need something, they want something. Uh, A lot of times we want to do it just because we love them. No other reason. They don't need to perform. They don't need to do anything. Just because we love them. That's all there is to it. And you got the little kid over there. And um, you find out they're saving up for something. Reach into your pocket. Grab a dollar. Doesn't seem like much, but to that little child, it's everything. Oh, man, this is great. And you give them that dollar. Not for anything. Just because you want to. Just because you love them. And that's God. And when you do that, doesn't it make you feel good? Oh, man, you, you feel good. God performs His Word to show He loves us. That's the first reason, the second reason is to demonstrate his power. We know from looking at Israel, Moses even called him on it one time, demonstrate your power. Or if you don't come through, people are going to think that you can't. <clears throat> God performs his word to demonstrate his power that he is God. When he did those plagues against Egypt, what was his purpose? I'm going to show you how strong I am. Are you ready? (laughs) And he demonstrates his power. Here's a third one. God performs his word to fulfill his promise. If he made a promise, he wants to fulfill it. Just like you sometimes have made a promise to someone and you're going to come through not because of anything on their part, just because I said I was going to do this. And God said He's going to do something so He's going to do it. He does it to fulfill His promise. Here's the fourth one. To accomplish His plan. God will perform His word to accomplish His plan. And I'm not saying that He has to. we have to engage all four of those things. Any one of them will get God to move. Any one of them is, is that powerful. He will do it because He loves us. He will do it just because he wants to demonstrate his power. Or it's a good opportunity to demonstrate his power. He will do it to fulfill his promise. And he will do it just to accomplish his plan. How many times has he come through for Israel? Not because they deserved it. Not because they were in a position to to warrant any love. But just because I I have a plan and I'm going to accomplish it. Now God responds to faith, not offers. You can make an offer, you may think it's, it's a really good offer. But God does not respond to offers. He responds to faith. Just remember, there is nothing that you got that God can't live without. Nothing. God gets along just absolutely perfectly fine. Without anything from you at all. Because he's God. There is nothing that we can offer him that he needs or cannot get any other way. Nothing. But that's not what motivates him. He's not motivated by those kind of things. God is not a trader. He does not trade. T-R-A-D-E-R not traitor trader. (laughs) he is not a traitor God is a fulfiller doesn't trade he fulfills what did my word say God you're going to fulfill your word and this is what your word said very good that's what we'll do but don't get into a place where you want to be trading see our faith Accesses his promises, not our trades. Verse 32 So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. Isn't that great? And he defeated them from Aror as far as Mineth 20 cities, and to Abel, Kerim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Two verses. (laughs) That's it. We don't hear of any heavy rainstorm. We don't hear of cherry wheels getting bogged down. We don't hear people turning on each other and fighting each other. We don't hear of walls coming down. No, no crazy strategy. No walking around a city, banging drums, lighting torches. Nothing. They just advanced. That's it. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. So they took a smaller number against the bigger number And they just advanced. Was it. But apparently it caused it a very great slaughter. Now if it's a great slaughter, that means that one side lost a whole lot and the other side lost very little. So the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. One battle they were subdued. Kind of interesting to note when God gets behind a battle or behind a war, they're short. <laughs> At least in the Old Testament they were short. I mean, how long did the battle go on between Israel and Egypt? One afternoon. That's it. It's over. Battle was, battle was done. How long did the battle go on between the children of Israel and Jericho? Oh, yeah, it's six days of uh, lead up. And then the actual battle, one day. I mean, it's over quick. God is not against war, but he apparently does not like long drawn out ones. (laughs) We're going to do this thing. (laughs) It's going to be done quick. You'll find some, you know, some of David's campaigns, they went on for a little while. But um, most of the times you see that God took care of her pretty quickly. So when Jephthah came to his house at Mitzpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me. I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, Go. He sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends bewailed her virginity on the mountains and it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her which he had vowed she knew no man and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite now we've covered it before you probably remember but most people look at this as a human sacrifice God is not into human sacrifices the only time he called for it he stopped it before it happened Because he wasn't into the human sacrifice. He just wanted someone to be willing. Now if you were going to be burnt and sacrificed and you were going to go away for two months and mourn, how many of you are wailing the fact that you never married and had kids? I think there might be a few other things that might come to mind. What Jephthah has promised here how it would be fulfilled even though he said a burnt offering he's expecting an animal. But when it came to be his daughter... What he did was he had her become a basically a priestess before God, and she served God all the rest of her days. And she did not marry, she did not know a man, and it caused him sorrow, not just because uh, uh, people would think he was killing his daughter. That's not what caused him sorrow. This is only, only daughter. Mm-hmm. This is going to mean that the line of Jephthah dies here. Mm-hmm. One of the dreams of every person in the tribes. Of of Israel was that their lineage would be the lineage of the Messiah, and he knew that with this vow and with her, ta- her not uh, ever going to have a, a husband <coughs> and have children, that that would no longer be a possibility. That he was going to be out of the running to be able to be in a lineage of the Messiah. That's what caused him mourning. But he does not sacrifice her or kill her. But why in the world do it? Now God didn't ask him to do it. He did it on his own. Here's the thing about this. There is absolutely nothing about this vow that can build faith in the man. With Gideon, when he did the thing with the fleece, at least seeing God act it's the act is done before he has to go out to battle but with Jephthah there's nothing that's going to come from this vow until after the battle is won so he's basically just making a deal God if you will do this for me then once you have done this for me I will do this for you not necessarily anything God wanted And don't think that God did it because of his vow. God did it because of his word. God did it because he was going to deliver Israel regardless of the vow. Now he made a stupid vow but God still came through. And you will hear of people other Christians well I made this vow before God and then God came through. Oh no, God came through because somewhere faith accessed the promise of God. (laughs) That's all that it was. Don't be going out there blaming it on this. But they'll even go back here and they'll use this as an example. And once again, just because somebody did it in the Bible doesn't mean that you should. There's a whole lot of things that people did in the Bible that um, we've learned not to do. Them. I mean, Jewish, Judas committed suicide. Not a good idea to follow his uh his footsteps. Ahithophel committed suicide. Yeah, don't go following his footsteps. That's not a good thing to be doing. Absalom rebelled that's not a good idea don't go doing that other people rebelled not a good idea Eve ate the fruit don't go doing it and God said not to do something don't do it there are lots of examples of people in the word of God who did something that they shouldn't do how many things did Samson do that he shouldn't have done God still came through God still used him wherever he could even though he did things he was not supposed to do. And Jephthah does the same thing here. But nothing that you can offer God is going to get God to move. And if God did move, it wasn't because of what you offered him. It's because of his promise. Now he goes on here, verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, Then the men of Ephraim... They're on the other side of the Jordan. Gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. So he delivered them from the people that were oppressing them. And they got mad because you didn't call us. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, (laughs) you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands, crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim, because they said, You Gileadites are fugitive of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, <clears throat> let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, they would say to him, then say Shibboleth. And if he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right, yeah. then they would take him and kill him in the fords of the Jordan. There fell at the time 42,000 Ephraimites. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in among the cities of Gilead. So basically, it's like if you came up to somebody and they were from Boston, and they say, no, I'm not from Boston, and you say, say car. (laughs) And then you would know, no, you're from Boston, you die. (laughs) It's kind of like a long... One of those kind of, uh, one of those kind of things, and I know people from New York. They have certain ways of saying things, and you can kind of tell that they're from, from um, New York area, just because of the way they they make pronunciations. And that's what they did. They're going to get them all. Now, again, Ephraim was one of the biggest tribes of the twelve. And these uh, these uh few over here, after just having fought a battle, they get picked on by somebody who didn't fight a battle and decide to come on over after the fact and pick a fight. How come you get all the glory for this? And Jephthah, he's not moved. He doesn't get fearful. He's not shaken by this. He says, hey, I called you. Nobody came. You could have come. You didn't. We were in distress over here. Had the army, we can't sit around here waiting for you. Their army was already mobilized. We had to go in. We fought. We won. And so they decided to take them on in battle. And Jephthah wiped them out. But it's just like, it's not even a, it doesn't even seem like it's a blip on his radar. No, oh, take on 46,000 of you guys? No problem. We'll wipe you out. He just goes into battle. Quite a guy this, uh, this Jephthah. Now this, this group here, Ephraim, they get all aggressive after the enemy is defeated. Now where was this aggression? The past 18 years. Why over the past 18 years didn't they rise up and uh, help out the people on the other side of the Jordan or even help out Judah and Benjamin? And themselves, when they, they came over, the Jordans started to oppress them on this side. Where was all that? There's no, there's nothing there. They were cowering, hiding. But notice that with, uh, Jephthah, there's no deals made. He does not make a deal with God. He just goes in. One thing we learn from, uh, from Jephthah is the importance of faith in his word. So, put this in the, the beginning here for you. Since Jephthah is in Hebrews, he must have had a word from God to believe. He had to have a word from God. God gave him some kind of word about this. And he believed it. And he went into battle. Because every person that's made it in so far in the book of Hebrews had a word from God and believed it. So this was passed on probably through Jewish traditions and Jewish history about the word that he was given, which is why he put him in there. Because we are not given it in the book of Judges. So though Jephthah made a deal with God, he could only go into battle through faith in God's word because that deal didn't produce any faith for him. He had to have faith in God's word. So despite the deal, he can make it in because he went into battle in faith. now applying this all over here to us we see the purpose of church and the gifts and believers the revelation of unknown and renewal of known truths for the resisting of false pursuits the church the gifts of the spirit that God puts into the church other believers they are here to help you with the revelation of unknown things, things that are unknown to you. We have the gifts that God has put in prophets, pastors, teachers, apostles, so forth. Those are, those are gifts that God has put into the church. There's the way that the church operates. There's other believers in the church. These are all here to encourage us to teach us what we need. Revelation of unknown truths. And renewal of known truths. Not only do we have to learn what we don't know, I gotta be renewed on what I do. For the purpose or for the resisting of false pursuits. Don't pursue what is false. Many a Christian has gotten into trouble because they pursued the false thing. Jephthah pursued the call of God on his life. Other people chased him out of it. Other people told him he's not gonna be any good other people said because you are the son of a harlot because you are not a legitimate son because of this we chased you out of our land they saw no good in him but he continued to see good in himself and it did not cause him to have a problem with his relationship with God so we reveal we renew and we resist now here's the thing when you receive something from God God speaks something to you and you get that, that reception. You get that, that renewal from God that, that comes to you. Then you've got to do something with it. You either got to give it out to other people or, or act on it or do something with it. And then you have to continue to endure because whatever it is that God told us to do, when we go out and act on it, there's an endurance issue that will come up. How long will I keep saying what God told me to say? How long will I keep doing what God told me to do? So when we receive a word from God, that word directs us to either give or act on God's behalf to people here. It's gonna do something like that. You're gonna have to either, that word is gonna either direct you to give or to act on God's behalf to people here now in the receiving when we receive that from God when God speaks to us and he puts something down on the inside of our spirit when we receive that the persecution that will come with it is going to be more on the spiritual level it's going to be in the thought realm it's going to be against your spirit this is where the persecution will come that when we are just in the receiving mode, I've received the thing that God has spoken to me. Jephthah received the thing that God spoke to me. The problem comes in in the spiritual level. The enemy, Satan, is going to try and come and suppress that word that you got to keep you from doing what God said to do, to keep you from acting on what God said to do. But once we have received that and we get past that persecution that makes us think this wasn't God, God didn't speak this to me. I have no value in myself. I surely can't do this particular thing. We saw that with Gideon. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I can't step out there and do it. There is that receiving from God, but that first persecution is going to come. Is going to be on the spiritual level. But then once we get out from that and we begin to do what God said to do or give what God said to give or however it is that God said to act, we step out there and do it. Now the persecution comes on a different level. It comes on more of a physical level. It comes on a level that comes from people. The people are risen up. And they speak. you Now the enemy is still, Satan is still behind these things. He stirs up thoughts. He stirs up uh, spiritual pressure in the first part. But in the second part, he's going to stir up people against you. He's going to get you to have people come your way and tell you how worthless you are. And tell you how much God's not going to do that particular thing for you. How much God's not going to operate in that particular way. And you see with Paul, with Paul, it became even a physical beating. Riots. That when he stepped out to do what God said to do, there was that physical attack that came. That was going on there. Jesus, when he first received that word to, to your anointed now, go, and he went off into the wilderness, that was all more on a spiritual level. But so when he came out and he pronounced this day this scripture is fulfilled in your midst now all of a sudden the attention comes from people from the physical world. And understand that in the receiving is the spiritual pressure but in the doing is where we're going to get pressure that comes from people. And Jephthah had pressure that came from people but if you look at him he is a guy he does not he seems to be completely void of any pressure no matter what people throw against him he just keeps on going he did make a deal but as far as he's not moved by what the crowd is out there he's not moved by his own people rising up against him if you want to rise up against me and what God has told me to do you guys are dead meat because God has called me to do it and he had people that came up against him his own people Ephraim came up against him and he took them out In the receiving, persecution is primarily spiritual or mental. In the giving or the doing, it becomes more natural or physical. It's from people. But either way, know to expect that when we receive something from God and we do what God says, there will be opposition. There will be people that come against you. But for Jephthah, he was not moved by those things. And we can learn this from from the man Jephthah. Amen. Do not be moved by what comes against you; Amen. be moved by what your God told you to do. Amen. And he was. Amen. And it's uh, we didn't get to look at this so much, but isn't it amazing how ready Jephthah was to go when the people came to get him? If it was me, I'm still fuming over. <laughs> you guys kicked me out of my land. I'm over here in this land of Tob, and we're just we're over here with these worthless guys and and just raiding <laughs> places and I'm not doing what I want to be doing and I'm not where I wanted to be and it's all because of you guys and as soon as they came in he's ready to forgive them and ready to go back because God had told him to do something and he may have even said when God said this is what I want you to do I don't want to go back there why do I, I don't want to help those people out look what they did to me but you see whatever was going on there if anything was going on he hashed it all out before they came so when they came in and said we want you to come there was no time to delay the, the two forces had already come together he needed to get moving and he got moving right away and he went he was not afraid to ask for stuff either wait a minute you, you're saying I'm going to be head over the whole place yeah you're head over the whole place and he made sure they knew this is, this is what you said you're going to do yep that's what we're going to do alright and then he went on from there I'm head <laughs> I am over this because God told me to do this and if God told me to do it it's as good as done and so Jephthah made his way into the hall of faith not because of his deal but in spite of it Father we thank you that you have not called us to make deals to bring about your promises but Father we're here to receive from you that you that you Desire to fulfill your word because you love us, because you want to show the world your might and your power, because you love to fulfill your plan. Father, you just, you love to show yourself strong, to let people know that you are God. And Father, whatever it is that we are facing in life, we need your promises to come through. I thank you. We don't have to make a deal. We don't have to find something that's attractive that would get your interest because you love us and you are already interested in us. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Any questions on Jephthah? Did I get all your blanks? Anything from our Facebook people? Oh, where did that microphone? Oh, it's over here. No, he did not. <clears throat> I know there's a lot of uh, commentators, a lot of places that do that. And if you just read the text, it seems what's going on. But there's absolutely no reason for her to mourn her virginity for two months if that's what she's going to do. I mean, if she's expecting to die and she's going to mourn her virginity, why not go find a husband for two months? I mean, it, it, that's a better way. Give me two months to get married and, uh, and then after that, you can sacrifice me. That's not what's going on. That's what he said, but again, he is expecting some sort of an animal to come. He's not expecting his daughter. When he saw the daughter, he can't be going out there committing murder because the Word of God says, Thou shalt not murder. And um, I know, well, we got Abraham back in there, but Abraham was told by God, do this, and then God stopped him. But uh, God did not tell him to sacrifice his daughter. So he would have had to break the word to do what most people think, and he's a smarter man than that. He's a man who meditated on the word. He knew all the history of Israel because he read over all these, all these uh, writings of Moses. He knew what they had gone through, and he knew what the law was. This is not, but he he did not sacrifice her. That was not a thing that he did. It's it is commonly accepted, it is talked about all the time, but that is not what he did. That's why she's out there for two months mourning her virginity. Because she is going to remain a virgin for the rest of her life. Okay, he does have a follow-up for All right. I didn't read. Uh, he got even more. Okay. <laughs> uh, Stephen's always got some good it questions. It is? Okay. It's his follow-up that I didn't finish reading was, you are right that God doesn't want human sacrifice. But as you also point out, but God doesn't require... Uh, the bargain at all. Maybe that's the point of the story. Bargaining with God leads you to a crazy place. It does Maybe that God point. Stephen <laughs> says, not smart enough to avoid making a rash vow. And then he follows up with, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> He's always good for some good observations. Okay. I, I enjoy the things he writes in there. Yeah. Now it does say that the daughters of Israel went and mourned her virginity for, for, uh, four days out of the, four days out of the year. Um, now they didn't do that for long. It was done for a little while, probably while she was alive. And they would come on up and they would do that in honor to her, uh, while she was in whatever service that she was at. But once she died and Jephthah died, you know Israel. They forget what was going on. They may have every intention to do this for life, but as soon as she was dead, and as soon as he was dead, <clears throat> they forgot about it. Because just like they forgot about God, they forgot about this. Why in the world are you going to remember that? But uh, it does not become any kind of a, a long thing in history, in Israel's history, to have remembered the uh, the woman. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that was to where they. Yeah, I mean, they I know some of the places in the New Testament where that uh, they came up with that, but that's that is certainly what she was. But most people see her as a as a martyr, but she was not killed. Yeah. I'm not the only one who, who subscribes to that. Just so you know, that if you can go up there and you can look it up. You can find a lot of other people that will tell you um, that's not what happened. Land of Gilead. Um, Reuben. Um, half tribe of Manasseh. And who's the others? Two and a half tribes are over in that area. It's, well, it's a half tribe of Manasseh, so the rest of them are four. I don't think Ephraim's on. Ephraim is on the other side of the Jordan because the, and they're in the northern tribes, close to Judah, because the northern tribes were actually named Ephraim. Yeah, I'm trying. No, it's not Dan. Yeah, over in the Book of Exodus, it gives them. But Manasseh has inheritance on both sides of the Jordan, because half the tribe wanted to stay and the other half wanted to go. Reuben is is one of those. Um,